giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with Derek Reimer. Hey, Derek. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Uh, it's going awesome. How are you? Good. How are you, Ben? Good. Long time no talk. Yeah, that's true. What's new with you? What kind of stuff you've been working on? Um, so we've been working on some stuff related to performance of Drip, still continuing the scaling story. You know, I'm not sure if this was live last time we talked, but we launched a free plan recently. I saw that. And so, yeah, basically the dollar plan that we had launched was kind of like a test to see if things worked out with before we actually created a free plan. And mm-hmm. the dollar plan seemed to be working well. People were using it basically as an extended trial. Since we offer a 21-day trial, you know, people could continue that trial for just a dollar a month. And we found that people were actually being successful with the product and upgrading to higher level plans, which kind of led us down the path of nixing the dollar altogether and making it a free plan. So mm-hmm. no credit card up front. Um, actually still credit card up front. Like that was mm-hmm. a, that was an important thing for us. Cause we want to make sure that one, it's kind of like a, like an early fraud detector for us. Um, we use different credit card signals to determine if someone is potentially a spammer and you know, it's really important for us to be able to flip someone to a paid plan as soon as they exceed their usage. Hmm. And so, you know, someone could potentially import a bunch of subscribers, do a bunch of sending. And if we didn't have that credit card on file, then you risk them just deciding to cancel and walking away after having used a bunch of resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So still collecting the credit card up front. And we actually do, we added some additional measures when we launched the free plan to do like an extra hard off on the credit card. Because when when you enter a credit card in Stripe, by default, they do like a soft authorization to try to verify the validity of the card. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, the card will still fail when you attempt to charge it. Yeah. Uh, so what we do now is a $1 hard off, but you can pass like a capture flag with your Stripe charge mm-hmm. and set it to false so that it won't actually collect the money. And if that succeeds, then we immediately refund the $1 off. And so we found that 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 works really well for verifying that people have valid cards. And then we continue to do that on a monthly basis. So if you're on the free plan, we will keep checking each month to make sure that the card you have on file is valid. And if it fails validation, we kind of treat that as a failed charge and Hmm. and let you know, like, hey, you need to update your credit card. If you don't, then, you know, in seven days ish, we're going to uh, move your account to delinquent. Hmm. Are you using any of the Stripe radar stuff? Actually, we... I think someone might have turned it on for our Stripe account. I don't know if you had mm-hmm. to turn it on manually, but we started getting notifications that like this card has been, we determined it was too high risk and we actually blocked it for you. And we looked at it and it's like, yeah, that's the exact right decision. Um, nice. So I think, yeah, that the timing of that was really good. As soon as I saw the radar announcement, I was like, dang, we can, we can actually rely on this for some of our fraud detection since we were already kind mm-hmm. of doing some of that behind the scenes on our own like we were we were checking the country of origin whether it was prepaid or not trying to determine whether it was risky but you know yep. stripe will do things like check across their entire payment network and see if this card is being used from different ip addresses or being flagged as fraudulent by other accounts so they have all this data that you know we just don't have access to so it's really cool totally such a pain in the ass that there's this like drag on the system of people scamming you basically right <laughs> i know i know and i mean the same thing with email too you know it's like yeah cards people are stealing them using them fraudulently and people are also sending a bunch of spam through 
different IP addresses and stuff. So we've got like two problems <laughs> to deal with. Yeah. I heard that um, from another person that runs an email service that they were seeing people post to some sort of uh, work board, like one of those like Upwork or something, like one of those like do work for me boards. Mm-hmm. And the task was like, we'll pay you $5 to register an account on this service with you know a legitimate email and everything and then give it to me so I can use it to spam people. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they're getting yeah. Cr- uh, creative in the spammer world, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just and it's so unfortunate. Like you're trying to build a legitimate good business and you and you have to this is basically just all wasted time. Right. It's it's just pure friction in the system that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, we keep we keep TD around the on the edge of if we're going to break out kind of our spam abuse detection measures into a whole separate subsystem right now we're Mm -hmm. kind of just relying on having periodic tasks that monitor all kinds of signals and it's a pretty sophisticated system but at the core a lot of it is like sending notification emails to our internal team to manually look at something and you know i don't know how far that's going to scale like some of that we'll probably need to get more sophisticated with automating but it's that question of do you want to do we want to stand still potentially on progressing on features to build this thing which doesn't actually provide a lot of value to customers i mean i guess the only value it provides is keeping our deliverability reputation high which so yeah. far so far we've been able to do that but it's just like we just want to stay ahead of the problem so it's always totally. tricky so what else is new um so we had the some of the drip team members visiting this week from fresno so for those who don't know, Drip is acquired by Lead Pages. A chunk of the team relocated to Minneapolis, where Lead Pages is based. But we were kind of like a half local, half remote team back before the acquisition, and a chunk of us were uh, based out of Fresno, California. And so, two guys are still back at our Fresno office, and um, both named Ian. So the Ians came out to uh, Minneapolis <laughs> this week. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been really good. Um, it's like a reminder to me how valuable it can be to be in the same room as somebody. This has actually happened a couple times in the last few weeks, which is like this, I don't know what you call it. It's like a spark of inspiration that happens when two team members with intimate knowledge of the product are in the same room discussing a problem and bouncing ideas. And sometimes this magic happens where you just you just start brainstorming and coming up with really great ideas. And I've struggled to mm-hmm. replicate that same thing, uh, not in person. And yeah. so it's already happened somewhat. Rob and I are fortunately get to be in the same room a couple times a week here because we're both out here in Minneapolis. But even just having mm-hmm. having Ian out here has been really awesome. We've we've been discussing some new things that we're that we're working on, and the the energy's there. And I don't know. I feel like we're just you're just able to open up your mind and and brainstorm easier in person. So yeah, we're looking to hire a couple people, one for support and one for growth. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking support feels like a thing that remote would be fine for. Yeah, especially because I think it would let us hire someone more cheaply in a, like a cheaper geography. Yeah. Um, but growth, where we're, we would be likely working really closely together, and you know, they're like having a really high bandwidth communication would be really useful. Feels like that might I might really want that to be in Boston. Yeah, I think it's preferable, and it's it's unfortunate because it's like there's so many pros to to hiring remotely. You know, you open mm-hmm. up a, a broader audience, you know, all the things that a lot of us know in the software industry, but. Man, it's just it's hard to replicate that those in-person creative moments you know yeah i wonder if if getting together like frequently enough in person would kind of get you close to the best of both worlds yeah like like if every month you spent a week or half a week or something like that together right i think potentially yeah 
And if both of you were willing to travel, like you could say in January, I come to you for a, a week. In February, you come to me for a week and you kind of, you know, switch off travel. Yeah. Maybe even if it was somewhat flexible, like it's it's kind of hard to schedule like moments of innovation, you know? So it's like yeah, hard to say like like the last week of January, we're going to come up with all our good ideas, you know? Yeah. But if it can almost be like, you know, kind of depending on what's being worked on and what problems need to be solved, it's like flex the times when you when you get together. Maybe it's you go two months without seeing each other if you're kind of in the trenches working on something. But then if there's right. like a lot of stuff that needs to happen, then maybe you compress it at other times. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's tough to say where which side wins, I guess, remote versus in person. Like they mm -hmm. both have pros and cons. I tend to lead towards in person. Yeah. Um, but I, there, there are some very strong arguments for a remote workforce, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of that, I'm, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. At ThoughtBot, do you guys have an open concept office or do you, are you siloed off in your own individual offices? <laughs> this is one of my pet topics. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we do have an open uh, floor plan. And, and what are your thoughts on that? Do you like it or do you think, would you prefer to have independent offices? So in the past, I have been fairly, I've argued fairly strenuously for independent offices, like mm -hmm. cl closed off offices. Uh, I definitely am distractible, especially by sound. Mm. And so like I work with earplugs in basically 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I have earplugs in all my coats and bags and things like that. Like I, I wear earplugs a lot, like nice. just walking around town. Yeah. And so the noise thing bothers me. But I do enjoy those kind of spontaneous interactions that happen with people around. Like being alone in an office also kind of sounds bad to me from a, I feel isolated and I get energy from other people being around and also doing work and just saying hi to them and like seeing them at the coffee machine. Yeah. Um, and so we, we actually have a pretty decent situation now where we do have an open floor plan, but we have a decent amount of space. Mm -hmm. And so the teams are fairly far apart. And everyone keeps it pretty quiet. Like we don't have a sales team uh, or like no one's making phone calls in the common area. Right. And discussions are kept pretty quiet. Uh, and if people have extended discussions, they tend to go grab a conference room. So it's, uh, it's not so bad. It was loud for a while. And I started making some noise about, hey, we should maybe install some offices. But then we sort of just made it get quiet again. And it's been okay for me. Yeah. I think I've been trying to figure out what what makes it work for me that, you know, the lead pages office is it's multiple floors, but I'm, we're on the second floor, which is kind of the main floor where um, marketing team sits and uh, there's some of the drip support team. Actually, things just kind of reshuffled around. And so now we have the drip support team table next to us. And like there's the finance department. So we're all kind of like just in this big open office. Um, mm -hmm. But for some reason, like I found it, I'm really productive unless I'm, you know, intentionally being interrupted. But if I'm just like, heads down, I have headphones in or something like that. Um, even if there's noise around me, I found that I'm still productive, but I'm trying to figure out, I, I feel like that's maybe not the norm. Like there's kind of a movement towards people um, collectively agreeing that like the open open office plan is not a good thing for creative mm -hmm. work. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I don't know, for me, I've never minded even hearing someone on a phone conversation as long as they're not super loud. Mm -hmm. If I'm able to you know, drown out a little bit of the noise with my own headphones or, or earplugs or something. Because I think seeing people around, it's almost like creating entropy in my brain or something. Like just seeing other things around me is able to keep my brain from like focusing in on the fact that I'm alone or there's no one around me, you know? Yeah. I would like an office that had maybe like half glass walls, mm. you know, or like panels through like through which I could see other people in their offices also working. Yeah. That would probably be ideal. Yeah. 
another thing to keep in mind is that self-reporting is notoriously unreliable. Mm -hmm. So it might feel to me and you like we're basically as productive as if we were alone when we're in a open environment like that. But that doesn't mean it's true. Right. Yeah, that's true. I haven't tested the other hypothesis. So. Yeah. The example that I, I like for this is, so I know people that will drink caffeine at like 10 at night and they're just like, yeah, it doesn't affect me. And so there was a study done to determine how much caffeine affects people's sleep. And so they would give people caffeine uh, for six or eight hours before they went to bed. And then they measured their sleep quality in the lab. And they found mm -hmm. that, yes, the, the closer to bedtime you have caffeine, the worse your quality of sleep is. Yeah. But the self-reporting quality of sleep barely changed. Mm. So the people that had it four hours before bed were like, yeah, I slept great. And they're like, no, you didn't, actually. Like, you feel like you slept great, but we measured this and it turns out not really. I knew it. I routinely tell people that they're liars when they say that caffeine does not affect them. I'm going to point them to this study. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good luck, Tom googling that one <laughs> that's just a thing i remember from a while ago yeah but yeah that's self and i think i think you see that effect a bunch of times where people self-reported whatever's are not quite on the money right so be careful of just saying well it works for me it's like well yeah yeah i think i was trying to so i kept trying to get at like what what i think makes the difference between a successful open office and an unsuccessful one i also think it's a lot about the company culture like if there's an interruptive culture where people, you know, the days people are in the office are tap you on the shoulder type days, then mm -hmm. that's not going to work. You know, yeah, it's like if everyone respects that it should be relatively quiet, you should not just walk up to someone and interrupt their flow just because you happen to be in the same office. You know, we do a lot of like slacking each other from three feet away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so slacking each other to me still feels interruptive. Hmm. Like a private message on Slack or a, a ping at whatever yeah versus an email to me is a very different thing no I, I i agree um i think maybe more like posting in a shared public development channel or something not specifically app mentioning or private messaging i'm re yeah I'm, like you i'm not not a big fan of to me a private message on slack is basically someone ta tapping me on the shoulder because because yeah. it's that problem if i don't address it now i'm gonna forget about it mm -hmm. and so then the, it's like it's like sitting there at the forefront of my mind, like I need to I need to get on this or else I'm going to forget about it. So in those yeah. types of cases, if it truly is non-urgent, I would prefer an email over a private Slack message. Totally. And then but if there's just something like some random piece of knowledge that I want the development team to know about, but is not particularly urgent, you know, rather than like raising my hand and saying, hey, there's this thing I want you to know about. I just just posted in the development channel. Um, yep. So. Yeah. That's good. That like whole notification goes off and, you know, it's time to look at it thing. I, I feel like a lot of people don't pay much attention to that as yeah. being a source of interruption and a thing that breaks you out of flow. Yeah. Like I remember distinctly pairing with someone that had a push notification, like one of those like, you know, top right, uh, like notifications go off for every message in a certain channel. Oh, geez. And it was just constant. It, like we were like trying to write code together. And it was like, I could not believe that anyone could be productive in that with that. Yeah, yeah. But he probably self-reported that he was. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, I think it was you that turned me on to the idea of just using do not disturb. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been doing that a lot lately. Like even like operating system wide, I'll just like do not disturb all notifications yep. during certain times when I need to get stuff done. And I will, I mean, I think I still, when I do that, I do periodically go and check Slack more often to see if there are Mm -hmm. awaiting messages but 
um, if I'm really deep into something, then I think I can, I can manage to forget about it for at least 20 minutes and just get stuff done. So then yeah. not seeing the notifications is helpful. I had a, an interesting experience this week that was kind of along these lines, which is, so we're working with an external firm, a marketing firm to run some paid ads for mm -hmm. our various products, mm -hmm. including Thoughtbot Consulting. And Dan, our chief marketing officer is on leave now. And so the guy from the firm emailed me and was like, Hey, we usually do like a weekly check-in to talk about the ads are running. Um, are you free on Wednesdays at this time? And I responded and said, uh, what's the content of these meetings typically? Is right. this just an update on what's going on? Because if so, I would love if you could just email me the update of what's going on. And right. to be clear, I'm totally happy to get together if this is a thing where we need to hash things out and make decisions in kind of like, you know, back and forth way. But if not, I would love to not do this. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll just email you. Nice. And it was, yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, it worked. A couple of weekly meetings had crept onto my schedule over the last month or so. And like mostly with people that we were working with externally. Yeah. And they suck. Yeah. They're the worst. And like, every, like when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh God, I have an 1130 meeting and a three o'clock meeting. It's like that day is trashed. Yeah. Actually, like not totally. And like, if I'm really disciplined, I can still, you know, get stuff in, in the, in things between, mm -hmm. but it's, it's crazy how a three o'clock meeting will can kind of like drops my productivity for the whole afternoon. Yeah. Rob and I talk about this a lot, like the, the maker time versus the management time mm -hmm. and having even just one meeting on the on the books is enough to make you think you know well i better not get deep into this thing right now because i got this interruption to come and then half an hour before you probably start your your mind automatically starts thinking about you know okay what am i gonna what am i gonna say at this meeting what yep. do i need to prepare for so it's it's really been a killer and that's why we've been really deliberate since since joining lead pages i think it would be easy to be in meetings all the time because all the different departments always want to be talking to each other and, and right. finding out what's going on. And it's been it's been good for me in order to, to stay productive that kind of Rob has been the the go between for our team. Mm -hmm. So we have like mm -hmm. one designated person. He's not writing code on drip anyways. So it's like he's the one person like if someone has a question about product or someone has a question about a new integration or, or whatever it may be like, like go to Rob first, and then he will kind of filter for the rest of the team. And it's yeah. been it's been a really good to kind of have one point person, I guess, to separate the man the management responsibilities from the maker responsibilities, you know? Yep. I think that's really cool. There's a great post about this by Joel Spolsky called the development abstraction layer, mm. where he says that management's job is to create the illusion for their developers that all you have to do to make the business successful is come in and write good code. Right. And so like, he's like, sometimes my day involves getting the HVAC guy here to fix the AC because it's too warm in the office. Yeah. And that's the most important thing I can do that day because I need the developers to be comfortable so they can feel like the only thing they need to think about is writing great code. Yeah. So true. So yeah, such a good point. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I was, I was so pumped at that, the outcome of that thing of just like, like how about a weekly meeting? And I was like, how about not? And he's like, okay, but I'll, <laughs> and, and like, but like the information will still get done. I'll still know what's going on. And if we need to make changes, we can make changes. Like we can still communicate. There are other ways. Right. Um, so I planning on continuing this trend. Like I want to just keep being defensive of my time like that and realize that like a weekly meeting is like a huge commitment. Yes. And so they should not be taken lightly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What else is new with you? So we uh, have sort of starting to more publicly launch Formlinter, which I talked about a while back. 
Okay. That one got, that one got, got kind of stuck in like 90% done. It had mm-hmm. like a bug or two that I was like, I don't want to launch this, like talk about this until it's actually like fixed. And I fixed that bug and pushed out the door and wrote a blog post and we're tweeting about it. And um, so it's out in the world now, um, which is cool. We'll see. It hasn't, it's not working great so far. Like the, the, the hope with Formlinter is that people will use it. And then we have a uh, mailing list pitch basically, okay. which is like we have a, f- a course on fixing the most common form issues that hurt conversions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and opt-ins have been like pretty light into that so far. Okay. So this may not, that particular attempt at turning those people into audience people may not work. Uh, so that, that might need tweaking to see like maybe for whatever reason that that topic is not compelling to people that do find Formlinter compelling. Right. Um, but we'll see. So it's, this idea of it's like engineering is marketing, like kind of built this little free utility that would hopefully be a funnel into. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly into the mailing list which then you know eventually yeah exactly and maybe eventually form keep customers got it what was the launch like of that did you guys like product hunt it or what what was like the main drivers that you guys uh our blog okay okay yeah it's it's still i mean it's it's not a good launch yeah (laughs) i haven't put a lot of uh, force behind it yet but this was like the thing that was like kind of on my plate is like this has been effectively launched but hasn't we haven't talked about it in any of our channels and so it's like okay the 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 smallest thing i can do to push this thing forward is fix that fix those bugs and blog about it sure and then keep pushing on it got it but we're ranking for form linter okay and and such so (laughs) like we're number one if you if you google form linting which almost no one does so (laughs) Nice. And uh, any more uh, progress on validating new products? I have paused that for now. Okay. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, I was really struggling for a while to figure out what to do. Um, mm-hmm. And the, pro- the, the new product thing felt good because it was new and fresh and kind of let me not think about the existing products. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty to do on the existing products. And I think they need some TLC right now. Okay. So I, I straight up like told Chad, I was like, I need to meet with you every week and I need help because I'm feeling like kind of, I was, I was getting this kind of like overwhelmed place where it's like, I don't know what to do and everything seems a bit too hard or too nebulous. And I need to like help directing myself for a while. Sure. Uh, and I'm usually pretty good at, at not needing that. Like usually just sort of self-directing, like I'm excited about this. I'm going to go off and do this thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for some reason, and this happens to me every maybe year or something every couple of years mm-hmm. it's like i kind of get in this place where it's like woof this is uh, i have like a couple of weeks where it's like these are bad weeks and then they kind of like self-reinforce in a negative way yeah where it's like oh i had a okay i didn't know qu- quite what to do so the stuff i was working on wasn't that important or i was like very unproductive and then i feel bad about that which like doesn't set me up for success for the next day right so my approach was to like reach out and just be like i i, I need this help right now uh, which was good. So it, that's that's actually been working really well. So we went from like a every other week one on one to an every week one on one, and the last time we met, I just told him I was like, uh, "You can tell me things to do right now." Mm-hmm. Like normally, it's it's like Chad has a pretty like hands off management style, mm-hmm. where he's like, I'm, "I might do this if it were me, I would focus on these things," but I was like, R- "Right now, like you you can just be like, just let's let's just do this." Yeah, and that would actually be refreshing for now as I'm kind of like trying to get my feet back under me. Yeah, go, going it alone is difficult which is why rob talks a lot about the mastermind group approach you know i think you've been talking about that for a long time and that's not an original concept but you know it's it's especially relevant when applied to someone working solo on software products trying to spearhead the whole thing it's like yeah that's where having a co-founder to bounce ideas off of and divvy up work is underrated in my opinion yeah and 
because we had those layoffs and those financial troubles, and we moved everyone off the product team that wasn't me, I was effectively solo foundering. Yeah. And that's a, never a situation I would have wanted to get myself into. Yeah. Like I would never start a company by myself ever right. because I know that is not a good environment for me. And so it worked for a little bit. And then it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is falling apart in the way that I suspected it would fall apart. Mm-hmm. So getting together more often is helping a lot that getting like in person is helping a lot. And I feel like the ship has kind of been righted and we're now sort of moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's awesome. And part of that is because one of the big things that I'm focusing on right now is building the team back up. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned this earlier, but we are looking for a support person, uh, which is interesting because so we have these products and they definitely generate a fair amount of support. And I don't know, I, I've resisted bringing on a support person for, for them for a while. Yeah, And I think part of it is a cultural thing where basically everyone at ThoughtBot is a designer or developer. And it's like, well, we can just have a, the developers do support. Yeah. And it's like, that's true. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because like in certain places, like in, in certain realms, I'm all about the efficiencies of outsourcing yeah, um, or letting people that are really good at a certain thing do that thing and not have you do it. And I think support has been a thing I've resisted partly because it makes me nervous to put someone between the customers and the teams mm. running the products yeah. or me. Yeah, um, That feels like a hard thing to let go of for some reason yeah i can sympathize with that with that feeling that like are people really going to be able to help customers in the right way or be able to pass along the right knowledge or or whatever um Mm -hmm. yeah and that's it's interesting so two things on that one um with drip we already had andy our support guy that rob had worked with on other products in the past and one of our first First things, as soon as we started getting drip in front of customers was to get Andy uh, looped in on support. And I, Rob and I were in support regularly for the first couple of months. And that was it was really good to talk to customers and hear what they're saying. And I still think it's important even now to have your finger on the pulse of what customers are requesting, what things are causing them confusion. And but I think a lot of that can be distilled by a support team like Maybe just a regular check-in with with the support person saying, hey, what have you been hearing lately? And then, you know, they can learn to filter like what's a good looking feature request and what's something that's already been uh, discussed before and either like mm-hmm. is either already mm-hmm. on the roadmap or already decided like this is not going to be built. You know, and that person can definitely learn over time and and figure out how to just filter the the fire hose of messages and make sure that the right messages get back to you as the as the product person. Yeah. And like I didn't really believe it was possible until I actually saw it happening, you know, and then it's like it's true. You know, it is it is okay. doable. That's <laughs> good. That's that's good to hear. Yeah. That's it's definitely a fear of mine. Yeah, the the second thing was was actually something recently that we were we were batting around. Um, one of our new hires is a basically a support engineer because um, mm-hmm. a, a good chunk of drip support is highly technical in nature. Like somebody is, you know, running some complex workflow and can't figure out why it's not working as they expect. And the support team is really good at spotting existing patterns and they're always building up more knowledge over time of how even the most complex parts of the app work but sometimes it just requires a developer going into the console and looking at database records and trying to figure out you know is there actually a bug here or is this just user error Um, so for the longest time this is all kind of funneled back to either me or more recently in the past year or so it's gone to to ian um, one of our developers on the team 
and it started eclipsing more and more of his time. So he was able to, to make less, less and less progress on features just because of the support load. And so something that we, we batted around was, should we build like someone to, to stand between support and Ian, another support engineer, or should we try to do like the approach of, of engineer rotations where mm-hmm. the whole dev team is kind of cycles into being on support duty. And I, I know that there are some companies that make that work, but we were pretty resistant to that just because, because of the interruptive nature of, of support and, you know, the fact that it, it would be difficult to pull any developer at any given time off of a project that they're working on and potentially like stall that out just to handle support. So we, yeah. we ultimately decided to, to just bring on a dedicated support engineer and they can, that support engineer can build some small features when they're not doing support, but their primary mode is to, is to handle support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. There's part of me that feels like we need, we might need that. Like mm-hmm. most of the requests that we get, like we make developer tools. So right. the people that are emailing us are developers and their questions are often technical in nature. So I don't think we can just get a person that's non-technical and train them on the stuff to be good enough at support. Yeah. Sometimes you can get, you could definitely train up like a non-technical support person on being able to like inspect in the console and view, view HTML and stuff like that. And some of our support team members have like some basic um, HTML training, which comes in handy, you know, being able to, to at least inspect in the console or something. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely if it, if it spans into like looking on the back end, then I think it, it helps to have a, a technical Rails dev or whatever. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of less like I would expect them to go look at the code and figure out what's r- wrong. But it's like for form keep, some people will email us and say, hey, I wrote this JavaScript to submit the form and it doesn't work. Can you help me? Ah, uh, yeah. So they're almost expecting a little bit of like, like minor consulting work on JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> Somehow I have that, that has become my world occasionally. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, no, how did this happen to me? Yeah, and it's it's awesome to be able to to provide that support because it is you know a larger company would just say like good luck figure it out you know yeah and so. the and the good news is like it's basically always one of like two or three problems so sure yeah and we we have a we have a guide and FAQ on that but people don't find it and that's a, that's another I think there's another hesitation of mine around the support thing is I view most support requests as kind of a failure of the product or the docs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I, I do worry like, oh, well, if we just know that we have someone who can just handle these, we don't actually need to fix the thing that's generating the problems. Right. And I, and I hate that mindset. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting balance. Something, an observation I made is like when anytime I'm doing support tickets, I'm tending to look at any problem. If the solution is like kind of a hack or something I view as non-ideal as a product person, then my gut instinct is to file an issue to fix it. And mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the right course of action. Other times it's like what they're doing is so edge casey that the right answer is probably just to just to give them the workaround <laughs> that's mm-hmm. maybe not super elegant and maybe not something that should go directly into the product. And, you know, our support team is really good at coming up with some really creative stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which is I mean, I think you can you can swing too far that direction where it's like we're not actually fixing the core problems because support has gotten so good at figuring out hacks, you know, and ways hmm, to like mm-hmm. to hack around the problem as opposed to building it as a first class solution. But mm-hmm. I, I know my tendency is to, to go way too far on the other side and want to like fix everything with code uh, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, implementing a feature more elegantly as opposed to just giving someone this uh, a workaround. Right. Yep. Totally. 
Were you involved with hiring any of the support people? So now the support team is kind of managed by the lead pages support manager, and yep. she's really good at vetting support people, and she's got good processes in place. So we actually have not been been involved in that. Um, I was involved in hiring the support engineer, just mm-hmm. just kind of like evaluating technical skills and and that end of it. Um, yep. But uh, fortunately, we haven't had to to do too much on the other support. Mm, I'm asking because I'm trying to figure out. I feel like there should be some sort of test, I guess, or like some sort of evaluation that you would do on somebody mm-hmm. or with someone to like when we're hiring programmers, we pair program with them because that's a great way to see where they are programming. Right. Right. Um, with support person, like I've seen people will do like, imagine someone has sent in this request, tell them yeah. no politely. Imagine they send in this request, tell them that yes, but things like that. I know that's definitely like writing tests uh, and mock mock support tickets is definitely part of the process that the, the support team does. And I think we did mm-hmm. that for our support engineer even just to make sure that like the instincts were there on how to communicate with customers over email. Mm. Um, that seems cool. to it seems to work well for them. So I would definitely recommend that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do something yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking at candidates and I'm also talking to a couple uh, people that do this like on an outsource basis. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting. I had someone recommend to me she said she much prefers hiring part-time people as like 1099 or W2 employees versus consultants for like outsourced agencies because she thinks like psychologically it feels like they're on your team and they mm-hmm. will care a lot more than if you're one of like 7 or 10 or whatever clients that someone is servicing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I I could see that. I mean, if someone is like a professional support consultant, then I imagine they're pretty good at what they do, you know? Right. But yeah, if it's just like a an entry-level support person who's kind of trying to hold a, a, a whole load of clients all at the same time, I could imagine they maybe aren't quite as, as good at, uh, at juggling all that. So I could see that either way. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm, I'm going to kind of talk to a bunch of different people and, and see what seems right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also going to actually ask the professional outsourced people uh, what kind of things they would ask interview candidates. Yeah. Or, or like what kind of tests they might use. Yeah, that's that's probably definitely wor- worth paying money for if you can even just ask a consultant, what's the best way to vet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like yep. Money well spent. Or even pay them to help me vet. Sure. Yeah. Like, which is, that, that's something we do for clients is like interview other developers when they're looking to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I would happily pay if, if I if I found someone that I thought was good, but didn't want to hire them. Uh, and we did just did decide to kind of keep it in house. Then we're like, hey, can I buy a couple hours of your time to help me find a good candidate? Yeah, that's money well spent because making a, a bad hiring decision is costly and painful. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah. So we're also looking to hire a growth person. And I've actually been talking to Zach, uh, one of your coworkers about that. Very cool. Because yeah. this, is, this is my strategy when I'm hiring for a thing that I don't do myself is like find someone who I think is good at it and then talk to them about how I should do it. Sounds wise. Yeah, hopefully. So he's been giving me some advice about you know how to pitch it and where to post it and, and all that. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. And there's more, but we uh, we talked for a while and it's getting we're getting up there. So maybe we should uh, wrap it and come back to it next week. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, thanks for uh, joining. Yeah, it's fun. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been it's been a while and I kind of missed the podcast. So awesome. Well, it's good to have you back. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Agree to Disagree Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 218. Thanks for listening. Thank you.